It's time to heed the call of the wild and seek the higher calling. Higher Calling Gulf Coast is the inspirational voice of Gulf Coast fishing and conservation. Hosted by award-winning wildlife journalist, conservationist, and flounder revolutionary, Chester Moore. Be ready for a relentless pursuit of life, liberty, and the pursuit of fishing adventure. All right, welcome to Higher Calling Gulf Coast. This is Chester Moore doing our Speckled Trout Saga series of seven podcasts in a row just about trout. And there's a whole lot more we could say even than that, but we'll stop here for now. And today's program is one I'm very, very excited about. A guy I've known in the industry for a long, long time, fished with him a few times, the founder and creator of DOA Lures, Mark Nichols. Welcome to Higher Calling Gulf Coast. It's good to be on your show here. I, uh, I'll be getting back in your neighborhood uh, probably uh, late July. going to spend a couple weeks over there. And uh, been fishing here a good bit. Our fishing's uh, hadn't been targeting trout as much as I have tarpon because the tarpon showed up. They kind of get my attention a little bit. Absolutely. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that at all. But, uh, you know... No, sir. You know, the thing about your area down there is that, you know, has such seasonality on things that are going on, you know, trout moving in and uh, certain times. And then you got the tarpon that'll move in. You got smaller tarpon, big tarpon. So in Florida, you guys have such a seasonal and varied fishery. I think it's just really amazing to go there and see what happens month to month. Well, you know, honestly, and, and honestly, sadly, you know, we, we touch we've, you know, when we've talked before, we've touched on environmental issues and, you know, we've had, you know, I, when I came here, you know, I, first I went into a tackle shop over on the Indian river and I said, Hey, I want to go speck fishing. And they looked at me and they were going to try to send me to Okeechobee because over here they call specks crappie. And oh, I was like, hilarious. no, 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 wait a minute. No, I'm speck fishing. Yeah. And then, you know, and then, you know, I start fishing out here and I'd be running along, you know, I was, you know, raised fishing Galveston Bay, you know, I fish mm-hmm. looking for slicks and stuff like that. I'd be cruising along, I see a slick and I'm like, all right, here's some reds and trout. And that's the one all I catch is Jackson ladyfish because it's just a different environment sure. and they, you know, fish follow different rules in different places, which is really cool. You know, you learn different stuff about it. But, you know, if I was going to segue myself into talking about specifically large trout, then I'm always going to start talking about a big food source close to a deep water place where those fish can go hide after they feed. Yeah. If that fish wants to live for a long, long time, he comes, he eats, and he goes back to where he can be safe because, you know, you get on a giant flat that you can drift. If, uh, you know, where it used to be, you know, say 50 of us drifting that flat, now it's 150 or 250 drifting that flat. Yes. They're going to... Cover, cover that flat pretty good and they may get some nice eight eight nine pound trout some mid 30 inch trout who knows but that fish that i think is your state record is going to be typically caught close to that deep water where they can get up eat and get back where they can hang out and not die not get beat on it's really interesting but, because we have here at sabine i know you've been, actually been on sabine with me a long time ago throwing a soft plastic sure. mullet you were working on that was bigger than most of the trout we catch uh i remember you taking that prototype out and going Man, sure if something sure. hits that but you mentioned the bigger bait bigger sources and access to deep water even our jetties here um right. you'll have a big trout bite coming up and feeding right on the edge of the rocks 
an hour before daylight, about maybe 30, 45 minutes after daylight, and those fish are gone after that. And they go down right. to those deeper locations. So it's really interesting, Mark, how you've taken that, the idea of those big fish coming in, feeding. And when they feed on the bigger fish, they don't have to eat all day like they do if they're eating menhaden or shrimp. They can get one or two mullet or croaker, go back and rest up the rest of the day. Oh, absolutely. But, you know, then you can get also start talking about presentation. You know, you start getting near an inlet where you've got some real good water moving you know, to utilize just the sweep when I designed the shrimp, you know, part of my, you know, background was number one, pulling a shrimp net in Galveston Bay, but number two, you know, living in Colorado and throwing a nymph with a fly and watching that sucker float downstream and watching that trout come up and eat it where it sweeps over his head, laying behind a rock. And, you know, then I brought that theory with my shrimp to here where we were catching trout and snook under the light where we're utilizing that tide to sweep that bait and do the work for me. And those fish, even though they weren't feeding on big baits, they were fishing on, feeding on lots of baits. Yeah. And so you make that, you make that smaller bait, but a presentation that's totally natural. They eat it as a reflex. And that's really interesting and, uh, about the reflex thing is, you know, the first time I ever fished with you or talk with you, you talked about that specifically with that shrimp. And can you kind of elaborate a little bit more about that kind of reflex uh, instinctive strike that maybe you could even, maybe even a fish that's kind of full, that's like you present it in such a way that that fish might just take a hit anyway. You know, it's, I've been humbled by, you know, I'll get, you know, I guess I'm defined as an old guy these days, but <laughs> I'm saying what I get, I've got on the boat with some old guys that had some really good wisdom that, you know, I've been, I've been on the boat with some young guys with good wisdom that show me how to fish my own baits in certain situations you know, mm-hmm. that I would not have used that bait for. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, I, I learned some time back that, you know, you can, you've been, you've been drinking too much coffee and you're jerking that shrimp like crazy. Those fish aren't going to eat it. If you, you know, cast into that tide and you let that bait swim into that light and then just start swimming it away, because if that shrimp in the real world is in that, starts coming at light and he sees things that eat his ass, he's going to start swimming away. He's not going to start jumping on the surface Mm-hmm. He's going to start swimming back towards, so it's more of a steady retrieve, let it drop toward the fish, and then start to pull it away, because that's a much more natural, even though he's, too many people with, with something like that want to just jerk it like crazy and try to think that's where they're going to give it life. Yeah, and I, think, know, I think it's hard sometimes, Mark, you know, uh, you, you know, you maybe for someone who's just kind of grown up fishing a particular way. and No you know, doubt, and, you know, no doubt. You get used to fishing a jig head. You're, you know, it's, I've get, trust me, I've had tons of people get in the boat and, you know, you, it's funny how, you know, they'll fight it, fight it, fight it. And finally they kind of catch one fish cause they, you know, picked up their coffee cup and got a swallow and the fish ate and they're like, <laughs> Hey, wait a minute. I wasn't moving at that time. Yeah. <laughs> or, you know, mm-hmm. I've, I mean, I've been humbled myself more than once where I'm fishing and all of a sudden the mosquito starts to bite me and I stopped my retrieve and the bait started to follow and they ate because. I stopped, you know, so there's a, uh, I don't know, I can contradict myself all day long, but, uh, you know, I, I just believe that if I, if I'm doing a really relatively steady retrieve, I might give it the lightest twitch in the world, but I keep that bait moving. Yep. Uh, you know, when I designed the shrimp, I wanted it to be able to touch the bottom. That's why I had a single hook upright in it mm-hmm. and I wanted it to glide down. That's why I put a weight in the belly as opposed to the nose. 
So you, I'm definitely, I can fish that bait in skinny water where I can hit the grass with it, but also I can sweep it in that current, which to me is where a lot of those big fish are just going to come lay and eat. What about fishing on a Carolina rig? Hmm. A fair number of people do that, actually. Yeah. And a lot of people, you know, we sell a nine-pack of our shrimp that don't have the hook and weight in them because we still you know so many people in Texas put a jig head in it anyway. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And so, you know, it's going to have, obviously, a much faster sink rate, put a quarter-ounce jig head in it. Mm-hmm. And a lot of my friends, I mean, we're all wired different. I got friends that they cannot stop. And so they, and they're excellent fishermen, don't get me wrong. They may be, you know, we may be drifting in three feet of water and I'm throwing an eighth ounce and they're throwing a quarter and they're catching fish really good. And they're obviously working to bait much more aggressively than I am. But if I get in a pattern, I'll start out fishing them where I can, you know, fish that thing over and over in the same spot. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that, that would segue us into talking about waiting, too, you know, where you can be so quiet and effective if you're waiting or not flapping around in a boat. Yeah, when you're in that waiting zone and you're like, and you mentioned these the deep water access, you know, you have the shallows, deep water fish coming up to feed, right. those kind of things, stealth. Um, when you don't have that necessary clunky with, a, you know, a three-eighths ounce, half-ounce, quarter-ounce jig head, you're throwing the DOA lure like you have it designed, that stealth not only happens with your movement through the water and no boat, but can actually be, fish can be spooked by simply throwing the lure too hard on the water. Oh, sure. Absolutely. You know, you can blow fish out real easy. Uh, you know, where we fish here, we skip, uh, like, the shrimp under docks quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Uh in our world of COVID, uh, one of our good companies that we've worked with forever, Cast Industries, uh, they make jig heads for a ton of people in this country. And they got COVID real bad. And so I bought a smelter and started doing some of my own stuff. And I've added three quarters of a gram to the belly weight of the shrimp, okay. which three quarters of a gram don't sound like much. But when it comes to... Uh, being just heavy enough where it sails a little better, it still skips extremely well under mangroves and or docks. And so, you know, uh, I can fish it slightly more aggressively to address some of the public, but uh, I don't know. I still, uh, I fished, uh, I went snook fishing the other day and I caught three trout. I went, immediately trout fishing the next day and caught seven snook and not a trout. So (laughs) when I think I got it down, you know, they humble me too. And, you know, that brings to another subject, you know, if you're really targeting that really big fish, you know, it's no different than hunting something else. You have to put in your, you really, I mean, whether it's fisherman's luck, don't get me wrong. It's still one of my favorites, but you know, if you start figuring out their patterns, spending enough time where you can figure out what's going on with them, then you're putting yourself in a much better position. You know, if I don't fish my neighborhood for go on a trip for two weeks and come back that first day I go out, I feel like I'm half a tied off the whole darn day. You know, I'm like, darn it. I should have been there two hours ago. Yep. You know, and, uh, but you do it like three days in a row. Then, then you, then you start to understand what they're doing. And uh, then it gives you a much better shot of catching that, you know, that fish you really want to catch. Well, you mentioned like a, you know, how much pressure we have 
And the idea of like a spot that 15 years ago maybe had five or six people drifting, it might have 75 now. Um, right. That means that that big mega trout, let's talk that 10-pound dream trout, some 9, 10-pound right. dream trout, has had many, many soft plastic spoons, top waters, crankbaits, live shrimp, live mullet presented to it. And, uh, and, and, and somewhere in there, it has somehow survived. And that right. means that you have to learn the patterns. But they're also like little little nuances and things that we can do with our gear. So when you're in, when you're fishing for big trout, I mean, uh, what is your setup? Are you fishing with fluorocarbon leader? Um, Always, you know, I'm fishing with, uh, you know, with, with most of my gear, I'm fishing like a 10 pound braid. If I'm going to target trout and yep. I ideally going to have a 20 pound leader yep. and I, uh, you know, I have a real love hate relationship with FG not, Yes. <laughs> because they failed me and I've used really a lot of bad words with them. Yes. But at the same time, if I do it right, take my time and glue it when I'm at home and build up a nice seven foot leader, I, you know, I'm going to take every chance and take, you know, advantage of every, you know, bit of odds I can improve my shot at fooling that fish. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, then it, you know, then it just comes to being patient and, and watching what the fish are doing, you know, if it's a mullet run, obviously I'm going to be probably throwing one of my bait busters. Yeah. Uh, if I'm fishing deep water, or my swimming mullet works excellent, and we've caught some really huge trout with it, you know. And I can be fishing, uh, you know, a bait, and it's an ounce and a quarter lead, and it, with line entry on the top of the bait, it wants to hold it down in deep water, so it really lends itself to fishing that type of zone. But you know, with me again, like with me in Texas, you know, if I was down way down south there, you know, uh, I'd be, you know, you know, that Brownsville, mm-hmm. you know, that Brownsville ship channel that's got some big flats up by it, you know, over by the old South Padre Bridge that have tremendous water movement, great tide flow, which means those fish don't have to work as hard and they can go up on a couple of them flats and back off real fast. And, uh, you know, I just, uh, there's places like that. There's a couple of places in Corpus, you know, it's amazing how they can still catch some big fish. You know, I've, I've, uh, when I've been by myself and nothing to do, I'll go hang out at the red dot pier or something for a few minutes and, yeah. and throw and sweep in that current, you know, and there's so much, I think they must throw crap down there. So it snags lures or something, but I'll, that's when I go to rigging my shrimp backwards. Okay. And because uh, I can make, uh, then I put a worm hook in it so I can fish it weedless and I can fish it across all that really heavy structure that's on the bottom. And, you know, because I can get my bait where those fish are, I can catch them. I've caught some like six, I've never caught any giant fish there, but I caught a two sixes one day. Wow. And, uh, you know, there, you know, everybody in the world was taking the photo thinking it was a 10 pound fish. I'm like, uh, well, on social no, media, a six, a six pounders, at least 12. It's, you know? it's, oh, I've just been amazed at people, you know, I've had folks in my boat, you know, and this really cool young man one time, he was from Louisiana. It's like, you know, he had just, he had lost a really big tarp and, and it basically kind of kicked his young ass because it was really hot out. And he goes, well, I specialize in trout. And I was like, oh, okay, no problem. <laughs> and I was like, what's your biggest trout? And he goes, well, my biggest, my buddy's biggest is seven and mine was almost that big. I was like, great. I know where some decent trout are. So I took him over and his first trout he caught was a solid five pound fish, you know, good quality fish. Sure. And we get up to the boat and he goes, 
Dad, I broke my buddy's record. <laughs> I broke my buddy's record. <laughs> I'm like going, uh, I didn't know what to say. And his dad's like looking at me. And uh, <laughs> I said, well, I have a certified scale if you want to put it on the scale. You know, his dad's like, what do you think it weighs? And I said, it's five. And his dad didn't believe that either. I mean, I had, it was dead on five pounds. And, you know, be- you know, people don't appreciate, you know, a quality trout is a quality trout. Exactly. Five, six, seven pound fish. Those are good fish. Absolutely, they and, are. You know, I mean, I've been very, very fortunate to be fishing in some places where, you know, I've been waiting right at dusk. All the cars have their lights on off the bridges and I'm fishing there on white sand and I watch a school of mullet swim by me. And two minutes later, I watch a single file of a half dozen trout. Every one of them mid, you know, 30 inches all in that range. And you could watch them box up those baits 15 feet away from me. Those mullet, those fingers were in a, were spread out over about 20 foot diameter circle, and those trout instantly tightened that wad up, and it was less than you know it was like shin deep water, and they couldn't do a surface strike because it's too shallow, but they would take turns rushing them. Wow! And you see the mullet come up to the surface and get nervous and go back down, and come up and get back nervous, and they were eating them from below, and I watched it for like 20 minutes before I finally had to throw a bait buster in and catch one. But, uh, you know, to be so fortunate to me is one of the coolest things in the world, be out there waiting and be able to see exactly how those fish act, you know. And yeah. I've seen those mullet come up and surface and do that before. And a lot of times I've caught uh, flounder under them, mm-hmm. but I never, you know, really thought big trout would be under them. Although I started doing it a lot more and I started catching some good trout, you know, where they're fishing water that's a foot deep. They just can't get in that angle yesterday i was sitting on top of my sitting on my uh on my tree house looking down down the creek that i live on and uh my uh my encyclists love uh uh bagel they seem to like bagels quite a bit so i go up there and throw them pieces of bagels and then after i start feeding them enough then the snooks show up and i got a video of this snook swimming up eating this bagel off the surface and he can't it's too shallow for him to to get at a 45 degree strike angle like they would do for a topwater strike. And so instead, just like a redfish, you watch them roll on its side. Oh, wow. Suck it in real quiet. And, uh, you know, you'd hardly even notice the strike at all. But, uh, <laughs> you know, I've certainly watched redfish do that. And I've also, at this point, watched the way trout will feed, too. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, to me, that's knowledge that you can take and carry with you everywhere you go. I love it. And the problem here is now the takeaway from the show is that Mark Nichols studies his fish by feeding them bagels. I love this. This is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, well, I cleaned out my refrigerator the other day. It was kind of scary. I had a friend of mine, I had a really nice piece of backstrap and it bled a little bit and kind of dripped down, you know, uh, two of my shelves and made for a pretty interesting science project in my refrigerator. <laughs> so uh, I pulled a bunch of stuff out now it's in the freezer and it's fish food fish food and uh, i like it my encyclids by the way are awesome on light tackle (laughs) they they pull really good yeah and uh if you catch them in good water they they taste good too interesting well we drifted we drifted a long way from trout though (laughs) no that's okay that's okay it's all part of the realm you know i like this but you know you mentioned that you know those the ankle deep water those bigger fish coming in to sort of uh push them against the bank and feed on them um, right. You know, it's, it's like a, a rare circumstance to see 
But how right. how often do you think that stuff's happening in parts of the Bay where we're not even thinking about it? Do you think that there are? Oh, it it there's subtle things that are going on all the time. Yeah. You know, uh, when I, uh, you know, all of a sudden when the kayak phase started, you know, on the old part, it seems like it's ten years ago, but it's easily twenty plus. Sure. But uh, you know, suddenly you know people are getting up in skinny water that they weren't getting into before, mm-hmm. and uh, where you're getting up and watching the backs of fish out of the water you know, pushing along and you start, you start kind of watching the way they will rush bait and at different times of day, they will act differently. Like you were talking about, they'll do that. They'll do that prime morning bite. But I think sometimes, you know, like, you know, our guys over here, they, you know, they want to catch a snook at night and they all fish snook at night, but those fish don't necessarily quit eating. They just quit eating there. Mm -hmm. You know, then they start getting in their comfort zone down off the bottom and then they're then they become to me like uh like almost a freshwater trout where they start laying behind structure and ambush and stuff as it comes by yeah i had a i had an exceptional night one night where i caught a, a couple real nice snook but i caught two trout that were both like you know 29 inch fish and they mm-hmm. were fat and those fish you know i was bouncing the bottom uh or that night i was actually i was sweeping the terrorized then I go out the next day to the same spot on an apple and tide midday. Ooh, I'm uh, on my back porch right now, and I'm staring at a snook that's about 30 inches long. I'm totally jealous, I'm Mark. A, <laughs> almost makes me want to grab a fishing rod, you know. <laughs> what? Not easy. It's not easy being me. Well, you know, my creek is like, I'll send you pictures of it. It's real. It's only like 20 feet wide, and okay. it's only a couple feet deep. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, I've got... Three wood duck boxes, female set, hen sitting on all all three boxes right now. Beautiful, I've man. Got eggs sitting on them all right now, and that's, so I got uh, this little tree house I I built twenty years ago, and I can sit there. And that's one of the coolest things about it is that you observe, and you know I have watched uh, small fish come in that light. I've watched uh, when I when I have good salinity in this creek, which is not real often. I've had some good sized trout come up in here. Mm-hmm. I've seen some small trout come in here and they're just like a, they're just like a teenager. They're super hyper. They're poking their noses everywhere, seeing what they can find. Then all of a sudden I see a five or six pound trout and he's cruising or she's cruising and she is totally methodical and she'll get on a bait and she'll see if she can get it in the right position to strike it. And, you know, trying to pin it against the wall or something. Mm-hmm. And if it ain't perfect, she doesn't even go through the effort of trying but I but I sat up there and stared straight down on them and watched them when they get in that magic spot. That's when that's when the whole thing happens in such a short fraction of a second you can't even you know it's just boom done. And uh, it's a really fascinating sitting dead on top of them to watch it happen. Yeah, you know, and that's and, uh, the thing of being able to observe things and spend time. You know, I, I try to tell people you can. You know, keep a log of what's going on, make these notes, because one day you're going to go out there. You know, if someone gives you hot spots and GPS coordinates, that can be good. But, you know, that's going to fail you one day. You have to understand patterns. You have to understand little harbingers of things that you see out there. Oh, I saw that before and I caught trout in that situation. Right. Let me go. Let me go look at that. But you basically we talked about basically three lures here today so far. The DOA shrimp. The bait buster, you mentioned the terrorize. And you mentioned tweaking right. the shrimp by fishing it backward. Let's talk about some ways that maybe you tweak 
the bait buster and the terrorize maybe differently than normal? Are there any things you might do to alter those or alter your presentation a little bit in different situations? Typically bait buster at this point, you know, I make, uh, you know, that bait is, uh, over, you know, in Florida, it's probably one of the most popular soft baits for tarpon over here. We sell a gazillion of them and we have switched to a super beefy hook, bigger gap. And, uh, we've got, you know, plenty of trout with it. It's, you know, the trout that eat that bait is generally a little more grown up. Uh, and so, you know, I can fish that bait at different water columns from the shallow runner where I can literally make part of wake on the surface with it to yeah. uh, the, the deepest now that weighs uh, dead on one ounce that just the lead itself in the bait. Yeah. And I can, I can drag that thing super deep. And so depending on, you know, what situation I'm in, whether it's a current situation or whether it's a depth situation, you know, if I'm fishing, you know, if I'm fishing, you know, I'm fishing at night. I'll, I'll do I'll do the shallow runner a lot because I'd like to be able to get that surface, you know, strike and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. But if I'm fishing, you know, during the day where it's brighter out, then I can fish switch to a deep runner. And of course, it, I'm going to qualify that. But it's depending on how depth, how deep we are, you yeah. know, and how deep we're fishing. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, I'm I'm lucky enough, and you know, I hop in my car and I drive up to Jacksonville. I go fish with a buddy of mine up there. And all of a sudden, you're in a land of six-foot tides. You go in. When I first went up there, we go running up this creek. And I'm going, hey, this is cool. This is really nice. Yeah. And we fished until the water all fell out on us. We were in a john boat. And uh, we got out of there. And all of a sudden, I'm looking at oyster mounds five feet tall that weren't there when I came in. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> I was yeah. like, <laughs> and like, I'm glad I'm with somebody who knows what they're doing around here. But, you know, being raised in Galveston, you know, I'm you know, used to fishing more of a more of a mud bottom mm-hmm. and oysters, where, you know, there's it's very nutrient rich, you know, houses tons of crabs and shrimp, which, you know, are the life lifeblood of your fish over there for the most part, until you start getting into matic order and stuff where you got some grass and that sort of thing. You've got a you know, cool thing about Texas is they have a tremendously diverse coast. For you sure. guys do. And, uh, you know, you can, you know, you can go fish the jetties, you know, I was, you know, my dad, uh, lived in Freeport for quite a while and I was go visit him at Freeport, you know, and I, you know, I remember waiting, waiting in Freeport when I think, uh, they were out at the, you know, fishing the second gut and I would have drowned cause I was only about four feet tall. I think I was, you know, five years old and they, they go to town, kid. And uh, be trying to catch fish in the first gut there, and uh, fishing over there, and I caught my first trout uh, fishing the gut with an artificial uh, fishing the uh, gut right near me in the dark one night, and I was uh, I think I dragged that fish to every neighbor. It was so dead by the time I quit throwing <laughs> it off. <laughs> but uh, well, you know, it's interesting. Very similar memory. My first trout was. Uh, I caught it on a on an old spec rig, the old classic spec rig, sure. you know, the double oh, yeah. spec rig. And back then, you know, this ties into our conservation where I know both of us have a heart for that, to a point where in the in the early nineteen eighties when I caught this, I was like seven. So probably nineteen eighty, eighty one. Um the trout fishery here in Texas wasn't what it is now, especially on the upper coast where you still had a lot of gill netting and purse seining and stuff out there. Right. So catching oh, yeah. a, a legal, catching a trout back then was like a pretty big deal for me. 
And I remember no, I, have a, I, I have a picture of me holding this thing out before I even read, you know, before I even knew about making your fish look bigger in pictures. I'm just holding it far out as I can the picture. And I remember going around and like uh, when I got home and I went over and got my name, look, I caught, I caught a trout. And it's it's an important it's it, if there's something about the beauty of these fish that to me represents the Gulf Coast so well. But there are so many challenges now. Like we got a lot of dredging. A lot more dredging right. and habitat loss. These big LNG plants and all this stuff along the coast and new projects and you know you guys have had algae bloom problems in Florida and a, a lot of different problems out there. So what are some of your concerns for trout habitat right now, Mark? Well, you know, basically, you know, I I'm very proud that I was able to start my business here because I could take somebody out. We could go catch. 28 plus inch fish almost every time I went and with good confidence and I get out of the boat and we go catch and we might buy catch a 20 pound snook while we're doing it. It wasn't uncommon. And at this point I would not bring a writer here unless we're strictly going to target, uh, primarily tarpon right now. Wow. The guides here are primarily targeting snook because it is the only species that is consistent now, which is really heartbreaking because we have the, you know, Fort Pierce has the world record speckled trout. Yeah, and Indian River there have Green, been right? big. There, yeah, there have been some big speckled trout caught lately, but there aren't any small ones caught. And all those fish are and near deep mangroves. And you know, there's, we've got a power plant that's 40 feet deep, and they have markers across the middle of it saying you can't go in there because of 9/11. So I know there's probably a world record fish swimming around in that plant for sure. He's got 40 feet of water, but he's got a nice flat that's totally protected. Nobody can fish him. Yep. So they have the ideal situation. And, you know, and the reason in my mind, I think Texas has fish that can certainly, you know, be world record fish. But you also, you know, we have on, on the east coast of Florida, we've got the Gulf Stream, which is only nine miles offshore here. So mm -hmm. we get warm water coming in through the entire year. Therefore, I can get bait through the entire year. Therefore, the fish can feed longer through the year. And I don't think it's anything but that that, you know, created that possibility to catch that fish. But, you know, Texas, you get five warm winters in a row. You know, there can certainly be a 17-pound fish out there. Yeah. You know, you know and, and, and there's in, in, interesting possibilities of those fish even being in near shore Gulf of Mexico um, uh, around some of the rigs or those areas like right. that. But I think that when you're looking at like your, where you're typically going to catch a, a trout in the bays and things like that, um, you're right. I think maybe, maybe that is the edge, the warmer water, those kind of things. But you mentioned something that just kind of spooked me. You talked about the, 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 the lack of smaller fish, those bigger fish living out smaller generation. What happened there? Do you think in that part of Florida, Mark, to those smaller fish? The, they lost their habitat. Yeah. All of our grass died in a five-year period. Yeah, yeah. I waded through grass that was two feet deep for, you know, I've uh, lived here for 41 years. I waded from the day I got here. Mm -hmm. uh, waded through thick grass where you'd see the turns diving. I see virtually no turns because there's no small base for the turns to feed on. Mm -hmm. And everything I've watched is, I've watched this place collapse. I truly have. Yeah, it's, it's, and, it's uh, and I blame that on, uh, personally, I blame it. And most of the people I know that spend all their time on the water blame it on aquatic herbicides being dumped in Lake Okeechobee mm -hmm. to try to kill one plant and it killed all the plants. Therefore, 
they've choked out most of their life out of there, which has created most of the algae blooms. Yeah. You know, my warning is, you know, anything that's called a herbicide, whether it's aquatic or dry, get it as far away from that damn water as you can because it will destroy grass in the salt water as good as it does in the fresh water. Uh, and if you've, got, if you've got if you've got something downstream, it's going to go downstream. And it's BS that they're telling you that it has a life cycle of such, such and such. And sometimes they say, well, as soon as it gets light, it, it loses its ability to work. But if the water is totally murky, then it doesn't get light. Mm-hmm. So, sorry, I was on a podium there. but No, it's kind of that's like what a, this is for, man. I mean, you and I love like fish, a warning. But if and people you know, don't and, understand this, then, you know. You well, know, I went to, you know, the, the state had an emergency uh, meeting about the trout. And uh, about and that was about three years ago. I went to, and you know, you know, forever and ever, you know, it was the commercial guys against the recreational guys. Mm-hmm. And it finally to a point where I got in there, and the commercial guys were there, and that you know, first of all, they gave us some of their typical BS. Well, the water's warmer, so they moved north. I'm like, no, they didn't move north. <laughs> no. They lived here forever. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, at a certain point, you know, I looked at the commercial guys, and I said. You know, here we are complaining to one another, which has got, which has not destroyed our fishery. What's destroyed our fishery is the chemical yeah. that has destroyed all of our habitat, and mm-hmm. every one of them agreed. Yeah. You know, so so whether you're commercial or whether you're recreational, it's it should everybody ought to be on the same side and looking upstream of what they're dumping in the water. Oh, I agree. You know, and something that we're having here happen in Texas is so much dredging that is happening with all this development along the coast, making radical changes in uh, water clarity and silt deposits. And there's also a lot of problems with oyster. Um, uh, A lot of the oyster harvest and stuff because of technologies and because of some of the storms have caused some of the typical areas to be closed or going into different areas. Uh, I have a friend of mine who has a pier, and he has a little reef right behind his pier, and he was gone for a couple of months, out of town working, comes back, and there's basically no reef. They took the whole reef pretty much, you know. Um, wow. So uh, a, lot of, uh, a lot of different things are happening out there, and if you don't have habitat, you're not going to have fish. So fishermen, please listen to what Mark says. Just think about what's being put in the water. Think about what is um, being done to the habitat. I know it's really easy for us to focus on bag limits and size limits. That has its place. But one day we can restrict it to catch and release only. And if you have no habitat to produce those young trout, you won't have a big trout to catch. No, exactly. Yeah, and that's but, you know, I mean, we've harped a lot on the environment. I still, you know, still one of my loves is to be kind of mono a mono waiting around for that big fish. Yep. Uh, you know, I was a I was a true maniac. You know, when I was first starting the business, I'd get on my bicycle and ride to the bank and actually park in this very exclusive neighborhood and hide my bicycle in the bushes like I was a 12-year-old <laughs> yeah. and go walk in the water. And, uh, you know, I've been fortunate enough where I've caught a ton of, you know, fish over 30 inches. My biggest is 34 and a quarter inches. Wow. And she was a good heavy fish. I did not have a scale nearby and I wasn't about to walk around with her for a long time. And, uh, but, you know, uh, I tried to get a world record on two pounds for a whole summer. And I'd be out there in the morning, and I'd hook, I'd hook two that were dead on 10 pounds. The world record was 10-2. Wow. 
<laughs> Dead on. Man. man, talk about and, close uh, but no cigar, right? <laughs> oh, man. And, uh, you know, I broke off a number of fish. And I finally quit, you know, just because I should have been, I should have, you know, if I'd gone strictly by the rules, there would have been a couple of fish that might have been that large because I would get them, you know, instead of having a, uh, I think you were illegally allowed like 15 feet of leader, which allows you to get a wrap on your spool mm-hmm. when you're handling the fish close by. But, you know, I did not have 15 feet a liter. I was just fishing with three feet a liter. So typically those real big fish would just bury in the grass at your feet. And then it was uh, <laughs> a very tedious process of trying to, you know, slowly get them up and get a, get a grab on them. And I usually carried a, uh, a hand towel with me. And instead of a net, I would shove a towel in their mouth and their teeth would instantly get stuck on it. <laughs> Dude, this and I is could good. hold them that way real well. <laughs> okay, I just uh, learned something. I like this. This is it works good. I that's mean, awesome. you know, if it's a big fish, you'll still kind of poke hole in you a little bit. It's okay. You know, as soon as you got it in there, you you had the fish. Hey, you know, and you didn't you didn't have to touch it. You didn't have to touch his body at all. Yeah, yeah. No, that and, makes uh, sense. And the, and the less handling, the better, of course. You know, and uh, yeah, yeah. You know, I I was fortunate enough to catch quite a few fish, several overnight you know, with the two, but, you know, it got to a point where, you know, you've cooked a bunch of fish, you know, and, uh, you know, you, if, like I said, if I'd done the 15 pound, you know, 15 feet a liter, I probably would have, I might've had a world record, but to me it was just, you know, I don't know. I just love the fishing part of it. You know, I have been on my boat on three different occasions now where we have had world record fish of one sort or another. And every time the bite is good. And I'm like, Excuse the expression, but screw this. You guys want to take an hour and a half to certify this fish, or you want to keep catching them? <laughs> and every time, even an outdoor rider in the boat, he's like, I'll just write about it. Don't worry. Let's keep fishing. Yeah, <laughs> I, I love it. You know, and that's really what's yeah. much the joy of fishing, the excitement of fishing. And that is what keeps us all motivated for both of us have been doing what we do in this sport fishing world. It's a science, uh, it's a science and a lottery. Yeah, that's, that's it. A science and a lottery. I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to borrow that. But uh, before we go here, Mark, we appreciate you so much. Love to have you back on. Maybe later in the summer, talking tarpon. But um, be happy to. But I always ask this when I ask about trout fishing to every fisherman. So when you're on the Texas coast, let's narrow it down to Texas for right now. Is there a sure. particular harbinger that you look for when you see this happening on the water? You go, oh, there's probably a big trout there. Well, you know it's a. Uh... First of all, it's a tough question just because, like I had said, your diversity of your water there sure. is so great. Mm-hmm. You know, if I'm, you know, uh, I have, I fished Matagorda when I was young a lot. I know it's got some phenomenal fishery, and I know that when my wife and I were coming back over the bridge over Matagorda Bay, we stopped one night just because, again, I just wanted to see what's down there, you know. Mm-hmm. So we stopped at the bridge and we walked out and I have never, ever seen so many small trout in my life. Mm-hmm. I mean, there were, from the time you would start walking on that bridge from the, from the north side down, you saw solid small trout for 250 yards of just hundreds of thousands of small fish. And to me, that was, you know, saying, I'm saying to myself, what lurks below those babies? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I know that fish, you know, like lays below those. And, you know, if I'm, if, you know, I was, 
I was raised around Bolivar a lot. My dad had a shrimp boat around Bolivar, so mm-hmm. I fished Bolivar. I fished the oysters. And, uh, you know, I never caught any huge trout. I caught numbers of trout. And if you had a shrimp boat, obviously, I didn't have DOA lures at the time. <laughs> no, I fished, no. You know, I fished uh, finger mullet. I fished, you know, pinfish. You know, I fished, uh, you know, I didn't, you know, they were tough. And, and, you know, when I was 12 years old, you could run a trot line. You know, and we had trot line. You, you'd usually use uh, finger mullet because they were chopped. Sure, they can live And, well. you know, if I learned patterns a long time ago. If the fish were there, you'd have a fish on darn near every hook on your trot line. If the fish were not there, you did, all you had was a bunch of gnawed up bait from the crabs chewing on them all night. Mm-hmm. And that way, you know, I learned patterns at a pretty young age just because, you know, they were here four nights in a row and now they're gone. Yeah. And, you know, my dad would always just kind of laugh at you. And did they, did they leave you a memo or anything where they're going? <laughs> no, they didn't. Unfortunately, yeah. no. Yeah. <laughs> no, they, they go north or south. I don't know. But, uh, but anyway, uh, blah, blah, blah. But uh, if I, you know, when I go down, you know, if I were to go down all the way down south, you know, like I say, I'd get in that water. And I've seen people wading it over there by the old bridge and that sort of thing. You know, I want to. You know, if I'm out there fishing the uh, 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 the barge canal, yeah. you know, again, that's a place where that giant fish can swim up off that edge, feed, and where there's a ton of bait, and then drop back into that deep water. Mm-hmm. Now, I haven't, you know, uh, Scott Knowles, friend of mine, I haven't talked to anybody down there real recently as to just, you know, how devastated that, that fishery was. You know, I heard a lot of them died because they were running barges through there. So even yep. though they were born for that thermal client, it didn't work when they stirred the water up. But I haven't, you know, you'd have to tell me that. Yeah, no, it's, uh, it it's uh, you know, I've, I've been monitoring some guides I know down there and uh, mm-hmm. you know, catching a lot of, a lot of pressure on the redfish because they're just not seeing a lot of trout. And, uh, right. and that seems to be right. what's going on and goes back to our keeping, taking care of our habitat, taking care of our fisheries and, uh, enjoying right. the sport and making sure that we can enjoy it and our kids and grandkids can enjoy it later on. So Mark, that's the deal right there. That's you know, it's, I'd it's, like it's to see what somebody, it's all about. Yeah. I'd like to see somebody see what I'm seeing. Oh, there's my private jet flying in right now. <laughs> Well, oh, no, that was somebody else's private well, jet. Never mind. The private jet didn't impress me, but the 30-inch snook below your thing, you're feeding a bagel. That impressed the heck out of me, Mark. <laughs> I'll send you a video of it. It's pretty cool. Like well, Mark, I, I, I really appreciate it, man. I've always enjoyed talking. We haven't been able to connect enough over the years. We're both crazy busy, but I really appreciate the art you put into what you do with your lures. I've caught so many red specks and flounder on them and other stuff too. And uh, thank you for being an advocate for our fisheries and for producing really good stuff and always being willing to share your knowledge. Well, that's, uh, you know, I came over there, I think last year it only came over there once, I think with all that COVID crap. Yeah. But uh, this year, you know, I've already been over there once. I'll be over there at least a couple more times this year and, you know, go, I may uh, rent a place for a month somewhere down around Corpus and, you know, if you see me uh, launching my boat and I'm by myself, just yell at me and hop in. I'll take you fishing. It's been said that bonefish provide us practice. Tarpon provide us excitement. The permit provide us humility. But what can we provide them in return for so enriching our lives? Our support for the science behind the fight. Our support for Bonefish and Tarpon Trust. Please join us today at BTT.org. These species' well-being depends on it. 
You've been listening to Higher Calling Gulf Coast with award-winning wildlife journalist and conservationist, Chester Moore. Email him at chester at chestermoore.com. Check out his wildlife writings at highercalling.net and find him at dchestermoore on Instagram.